Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, the Magicians episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And with the magic of the internet, we bring you episode seven, Plan B. Written by Christina Strain, directed by Chris Fisher. IMDb gave this an 8.8, which is up from an 8.4 last episode. We went up as well. Yeah, I went up even more than that, actually. I would give you a summary, but all it really says is the crew robs a bank. And that is about the gist of it. This was such a fun episode. I really enjoyed this episode. Yes, I did too. I have, you know, a couple of downsides, but definitely a lot more upsides. The best part was getting the whole crew back together. Yes. Which is often the best magician's episodes when we really have every personality in the mix. They, they bounce off of each other so well. And I, I've been saying it, but I don't know if in this way or quite so eloquently that... I've been calling it sidelining characters, but having one or two off on their own, I think has been making me feel disjointed, like I'm missing out on the fun of when everyone used to be a crew. Yeah, I think so. But it wouldn't be special if they were always together. Perhaps not, but I also think it did other great things too, like provide more purpose to the Julia Cady storyline by tying it back in. It gives us more penny time, and I love that he wound up back with Cady and they finally resolved that for us. The downside is it makes me remember that they haven't been able to figure out how to work this into Fillory, where the magic should be happening. We can't seem to get the crew back there. And when they are in Fillory, they're mostly fighting a political war there. Yeah. And mostly on the Elliot Margot front, not as much of the magic and creatures and, you know, the things I love. Yeah, I'm with you on that. But the magicians, they do such a good job with magic. And I've said this in other ways before, but they're able to bring magic in different ways than the magic TV shows or movies. As far as, you know, for the, for example, the way they robbed the bank, they incorporated a lot of magic and they weren't over the top. Um, Lack of a better word, believable? That's the wrong word, but you know what I mean. No, I agree. And when they do it well, as they did here, it's still amazing. I don't mind that we're on earth when that's the case. I guess I'm thinking of things like last episode where even the magic didn't feel magical. Things like the Egyptian ritual to bring back Alice. And also when characters don't seem to serve as meaningful of a purpose. For instance, we've known Quentin has to be more central to this storyline. He's one of our main characters. Last week, he felt a little bit pushed to the side. I love them bringing him back to the forefront. Mm. And as infuriated as I am with him for not telling anybody about what's going on with Alice, I love that it brings a dark mystery and an internal struggle that he's dealing with. If you really think about it, their use of magic or sometimes lack thereof, I think is apropos with this storyline that this universe is on. Meaning it can't fix all. It's kind of like... You ever learn something, you always wanted to learn something so bad. Mm-hmm. And I can't think of a good example, but, um, and then you finally learn it and it's not as magical anymore because you know it. 
imagine being in this universe and you want to be a magician. You think magic is real. And then you grow up and you start to think maybe it's not real. Then you learn you're a magician. And as you learn magic, you realize, wow, it's not the end-all, be-all. And it's actually really difficult. And it doesn't fix much. These trials and tribulations that our crew is going through, they have to find ways to solve their problems with using magic, but sometimes without even using magic. And that's what's important. And I agree, and I I love it when they do so together, when they're working together as a team instead of also fighting each other or running from things like Quentin just piecing out back to earth to work at a regular job. You know, I like the coming together as a group, and that in part makes this great, the humor, just the fact that we're robbing a bank and there's magic involved. That's interesting already. Another huge quotable episode for us. Yes, So many quotes. And this leaves you on a lot of cliffhangers. We haven't had an episode like that in a while for magicians. Just wondering. There's many, yeah. Over the literal life and safety of some of our our crew here. Elliot, Julia. Mm Mm-hmm. Quentin, what's going to happen with Alice on the loose 30 minutes a day now? (laughs) I think it's an hour a day. She wanted an hour. He settled on 30. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But before we go too far, let's back it up and talk some specs, such as our music notes. I took notice of this at a couple of key parts in the episode. I couldn't figure out what exactly the song was that they were playing, but while they were starting to rob that bank, yeah. this was Make It Bundum by Skrillex and Damian Marley. I knew it was Damian Marley, but I didn't know the song. And you also had I Am The Best by To Anyone, which played as Elliot rolled the disco ball or the wrecking ball that forced the guards to dance. Yeah. Yeah, they actually utilize music very well in this. And you know what? I didn't realize how important music is to a show or to a movie until I was watching Mr. Robot with you and we were doing our podcast on that show. Every episode, we had to spend time on the music because it was so integral to the story and they utilized it in such a manner that It doesn't take over the storyline, but you know it's there, and you feel it, and it intensifies whatever's going on. And I felt that with the heist, because there was a mixture of badass, the song itself, Mm -hmm. and a mixture of fun, meaning like this isn't normally the kind of song you get during a bank but in a a twist, in a magician's twist. Yeah, new age magician's twist. Well, they always put their own stamp on it. If there's one thing I can consistently say for this show... The humor, you call it quotable, but just the way they approach it, it has a style all of its own. And that doesn't directly correlate from the book. It's not as though they're using words that Lev Grossman used, but they've managed to pick up on his tone, his style, Mm. this dark, cynical humor that he had. Everything is depressing and yet it's fun and entertaining at the same time. It definitely shows that. Grossman is definitely a big part of the show as far as uh, he has his hands in everything Mm. or he's a part of everything. Yeah. Or the creators have just understood him Mm. so well what he was getting at. Maybe a combination of the two. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's talk new faces and places. For faces, we had the reappearance of Professor Lipson, played by Keegan Connor Tracy, who is the professor at Breakbills that diagnoses magical problems. I don't mean to get down on her because I like her. I think she's cute. But does she ever figure anything out? Ever? She's always with those little 
colored lenses examining our conditions. Yeah. Well, it's just like everything. The the professors there, they are never helpful. Yeah. Really, like basically, they're there to say this poor girl is fucked. Yeah. You know, like that's the extent of their help. Oh dear. We also had two characters that Margot refers to as white privilege and neckbeard, the Milton bank managers. They were great, even though they weren't characters who had lines. They played a big part in this show. Oh, sure. This episode, at least. Yeah. As well as the next person, who I only got the name of one of the hedge witches or mudangs, if you will. Her name was Moon, played by Tora Kim. She's one of the ones Julia and Katie turned to for help with ridding the demigod. So we'll talk about the fact that there were two, but the one got upset, left the room. We don't really see her much after that. So this is the other one who continues to do the transaction with Julia and Katie. Those two characters were great. Yeah. They were so fun, dangerous, and magical, and scary. All of that encompassed in one Yeah, it was like we were back in the hedge witch world, but a different side of it. Yeah. While we're on that topic, I have to break from the segment for a second to give you a fun fact regarding the Mudangs. I wasn't sure if this came from something real or if it was a magician's invention, so I looked it up and found out a little background that this refers to Korean shamanism, also known as Muism, which is the ethnic religion of Korea. In contemporary Korean language, the shaman priest is often known as a Mudang, if female, although other names are used. The role of the mudang is to act as intermediary between the spirits or gods and the human plane through goot rituals, which seek to resolve problems in the patterns of development of human life. The reason I was initially confused about this was the sci-fi website refers to that butcher shop they go to as a Chinese butcher shop. Right. But we always watch with the closed captioning on so we don't miss anything. And when the two women were arguing, it says arguing in Korean. So now I was like, all right, is this Chinese? Is it Korean? I think the issue here is that mudang, the word, apparently derives from Chinese and originally meant altar for the shrine of mu and not the person itself. But they've taken the word and sort of used it now to refer to the mu, who is known as the magician, medicine man, mystic, and poet. You say medicine man, but a mudang is only used if it's a woman, right? Yes, well, they use the word mu interchangeably for male and female. Oh, I see. Then they use mudang if they're talking about the female shaman. And there's another word. I can't think of it now if they're referring to male. But this little quote talks about mu in the male form. It says, what sets him apart from other healers and priests is his ability to move at will into trance states. During a trance, the shaman's soul leaves his body and travels to other realms where helping spirits guide him in his work. The soul is considered the place of life breath, where a human's essence or life energy resides, and any physical illness is inextricably linked with sickness of the soul. Hmm. So I thought this was great because we didn't get a lot of background about what is a mudang, what are these hedge witches doing. And apparently it's almost a mix between magic and science and healing and religion all at the same time. And it goes back to twice they've made reference to this concept. We heard the beast talk a lot about Julia's shade, which was an aspect of her soul. Then last episode, we heard Daniel, Alice's father, talking about Alice's ka not being at rest. 
now they're referencing it in this way, but it's all boiling down to the same thing, the life energy of a human. There's this concept that when something goes wrong, it's linked to their soul and who they are and could be fatally damaging. And they do talk about the fetus, the demigod now, becoming inextricably linked with Julia and perhaps being impossible to remove it without damaging her. So basically it's taking over her soul or her essence. That would be my guess, and I'm betting that's the complication they speak of at the end of the episode. I know we'll get there more later, but that's what it's starting to feel like. For now, though, let's get back to our faces and places. We had one new location, and that was Milton National Bank, a bank connected to the Federal Reserve, which, of course, our magicians will be robbing. Let me drop in one of my fun facts. When we were watching the show, and we got to the point where they start discussing robbing a bank Mm -hmm. for a million dollars plus because Elliot needs some for fillery. I was saying to myself, what bank has that much money? And then what bank has that much money in gold? Mm -hmm. And we started talking. We were like, it's got to be some kind of like federal reserve. So I was trying to figure out where they would go. And this was all during the episode. So we didn't find out yet where they were actually going. Mm -hmm. And I found out there's a couple of reserves that have a lot of money in the real world. The U.S. Mint at Denver, okay, 1,400 tons of gold. I don't know how much money that transfers to, but it's more than a million. It's way more than a million. Sure, yeah. And at West Point, there's 1,700 tons. And in the deep storage vaults of New York Federal Reserve, which is the original one I thought of, 400 tons of gold. I find it pretty incredible that that's public knowledge. Well, I Google it. You know, it might be wrong. Aren't they but begging to be... <laughs> no, there's no way. Yeah, well, I love that. It's that's guarded by magic. I was just going to say <laughs> that's what this whole episode is about, right? There's even more to the protection than we're even aware of as quote-unquote muggles. Moving on, we have our new creatures. One they just made reference to, which were the Nugget Beetles, a creature of the Outer Islands that supposedly shit gold. Although now it seems they've gone extinct. This is one of those great magical tidbits that I'm always looking for. Yeah. Even it's just a throwaway line like this to know there once were beetles that actually shit gold in Fillory. That's how good this place was. You didn't even have to worry about money. I love that. But wouldn't you, wouldn't you say then that the money isn't valuable or the gold wouldn't be valuable and wouldn't be used as currency then? It seems as though they still do need money for many things in Fillory. I was surprised that that even poses an issue where they have to worry about things like that when we talked about Fillory being broke in this episode. Yeah. I guess as magic starts to dwindle, it probably would mean more, but it does feel like there's been a system in place where they use that as currency. And we also saw the magic goblins. We don't know too much about this, but this was the creature that the Mudang sent after Julia. They are invisible and powerful. And according to the Mudangs, whenever one is killed, another one just pops up in its place until the job is done. Or the hundred spoons are gone. Yeah. (laughs) A final section that we haven't done yet, but I think it's particularly meaningful for this episode, is new spells. We saw three of them here, at least that I could count. The first being the quarterback which reverses time for 15 seconds. We heard that this is normally strong cooperative magic, but somehow Julia was able to do it on her own this episode. I guess this shows the increase in her power. Mm. 
But wouldn't it be 25 seconds? Wouldn't you think if it's a quarter back? Ah, I like it. Yeah. You're right. I wonder. I did have one small issue, even though I liked the idea of this spell. It seems like it was incredibly hard to do. Julia finally managed to get it after much work, and then all of a sudden, at the end of the episode, when it comes time to use it, well, we only got four tries, though. Well, I think that's the... Is this an arbitrary... No. We could use it four times? No, I think that's the extent of that magic, even when you have it working, is four times on that same time stamp. Okay. I think it was important to establish that if they had unlimited amount of times, there's no risk anymore. Yes. uh, And I think it was difficult to get that machine to start working, but once you have it working, it's working. That's what I put in my head. Which is why I thought, why wouldn't this be unlimited? And also, I see what you're saying, and and that makes sense now. I, I like that. But I guess we'll talk about it when we get to that scene. They don't seem to put the reuses to that great of use because they kind of just keep doing the same thing hey, over yeah. and over. So I was wondering, what's the point in dropping in the number even to the storyline if it's not going to become central to the plot? But... I read a couple of articles and I really love what they brought up. It brings back to us the gravity and the intricacy of what Jane Chatwin was trying to take on when she decided she was going to find this magic that would let her go however far back in time and try to reset lives. They couldn't even manage to get out of a door Mm -hmm. and change the course of events over 15 seconds. Can you imagine going back 15 years and trying to change one little thing at a time that ripples out. Well, I would lose track, first of all. And that shows the power of the magic that Jane had. Yeah. And then equally the power that the Beast had to be able to defeat Jane that quickly. Yeah, and figure out what she was doing. And, and she did manage to come up with an outcome where at least quite a few people live. And the Beast is defeated. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. To the detriment of Julia, because if you think about it, Julia got the shit end of the stick for this whole thing. In this loop, she can't go to break bills. Mm -hmm. So she's shunned out of that. It's a multitude of the umbrella effect. Basically, with that, it resulted in her becoming a witch. A hedge witch, yeah. Which we know what happened there. And then meeting the fox, which we know what happened there. All of these things, there's so many, and it's her that really had to sacrifice everything for this loop to work. Well, and Alice's death as well. Well, uh, yeah. And I don't know if she saw that, but I was going to say Julia did live, Quentin did live, a lot of our characters made it through, which it sounds like did not happen in previous loops, and things probably went much, much worse even Mm. than this. Well, they all died. Yeah. And Alice did know. She knew she was going to die, because when... Quentin and Alice went into Fillory to try to catch up with the rest of the crew a couple episodes ago. Many No, first season one, they met up with Alice, remember? And basically throughout the conversation, it ended up coming up that she's no longer alive. So Alice knew that she would be dead before the Beast is dead. Yeah, I was wondering if Jane knew that. Oh, I see. And like if she only saw the immediate future. Oh, that's what I meant. Jane. That's what oh, I meant. Okay, yeah, yes. Jane. Because they told her when they were in Fillory in the past. Yeah. 
was a huge undertaking, and we have to be incredibly thankful that she managed to get them to this place. Now, I also wonder if she was able to foresee the end of magic. No, that's beyond the scope of what she was doing. That must be bigger than anything, right? I'd say so, yeah. Okay, back to our spells. We had two more. The gravity bell, which is a spell to levitate someone. We see that being used for Penny to get into the vault. And the Wrecking Ball, <laughs> the spell Elliot uses, which causes people to dance. Such a funny scene. I love that scene. <laughs> oh, my God. And such a funny scene with the Gravity Bell. Perfect. I love that Penny was the one that had to <laughs> endure that. All right. That's it for new info. So let's jump into our plot. We open up at the Break Bills Library, where Alice keeps appearing to berate Quentin to stop ignoring her, although no one else can see her, which seems to be driving Q a bit mad. You mean the evil thing inside of me that used to be Alice, he says to her. He also mentions he needs to say the words out loud to let her outside of the trap, and he won't do that. He's busy reading, desperately trying to find out how to save her using the old spell she had tried with Charlie. Alice says the math will never add up. Everything that used to be her is gone forever. She also says she's not bloodthirsty. She just wants to be free. And the scene ends with Q pulling out the same Niffin trap box Alice had tried to use on Charlie. Yeah, I couldn't see the box. We had to rewind a couple times because he puts it down in a very dark section. I don't know if that was just our TV, but we just devised that it must have been the box. It's so nice to see Olivia, the the actor who plays Alice, Mm -hmm. playing such a polar opposite character as Alice. Yeah. Not that I didn't like Alice. I loved Alice, but... To see an actor in that kind of range in the same show, I always enjoy when I when that happens with movies or shows. It's so fun. It doesn't look fake. It doesn't look contrived or, or she's pulling it out of herself. Yeah, it's a very natural performance. And in addition to that, there's also this underlying feeling the whole time that there still is something of real Alice left. She makes reference to personal things, human emotions, as mean as she's being, you do get the idea that she maybe can be saved still. She has emotions as if she was still Alice. Personal things like her parents from Mm -hmm. last episode or her jealousy when Julia's in her bedroom. Yes. You know, uh, she's definitely in there somewhere. This is just a a more prickly version. I mean, we have to keep going back because our baseline with Niffins is her brother. Yes. Right? There was no sign of her brother in there. And I don't know if it's because the longer you're a Niffin, the more you lose yourself. Or Mm -hmm. again, like I brought up in the past, I think she was prepared to become a Niffin and she had done something as to hold on to her being when she does become a Niffin. Yeah, I think you could be right. Or something about being tethered to Quentin himself, actually trapped inside of his body could be connecting her in some way to everything that used to make her human and the relationship they used to have together. In the very first scene, I was wondering when she says, don't try to save me, there's nothing left, if she was merely manipulating him to get what she wants. But as the episode goes on, it seems less and less like that. Would a Niffin who lost Alice as a whole say this? Oh, what? And you're the world's foremost expert on all things me? Based on what? Our garbage fire of a relationship that ended with Elliot's dick in your mouth? Mm-hmm. Come on. Yeah. That's definitely Alice talking. Even just having personal information about her own life and past, Charlie hardly, hardly seemed to remember who he was. 
I don't think he even spoke. Did he speak? Yeah, he did. He did. Okay. Did you love this scene because it was in the library? You love libraries. This one, we didn't get as good of a look at it. I liked the scene later with Penny oh, in that's, the library. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, I think they got a look of the library's floor in that scene, <laughs> not exactly the library. The back of the book stacks. Yeah, but they were able to talk about the books as though they're alive, which is so much fun to me. Now let's venture to the butcher shop where Julia and Katie seek help from two hedges operating out of the back of the butcher shop. Now, these hedges, they were made aware of by Katie going to her mom's friends. Old friend, yeah. Last episode. After they explain their problem, the women begin by waving knives in front of her and then start arguing amongst themselves until one of them leaves. The other one explains that the longer the demigod is inside of her, the more tangled it gets with her essence and the harder it is to free her. She knows how to perform the exorcism to get it out, but she demands one million (laughs) dollars in gold to do it. This leads to the idea of robbing a bank. I was worried that robbing a bank would be corny and cheesy, mm-hmm. and it was not in any sense of the word. It and, was so fun. And even when it was, and I'm referencing the parts where Margot explains how they're going to do it, by giving it to Margot and making that clever, in a sense, as well as cheesy, mm-hmm. definitely saved the parts that could have gone downhill fast. Absolutely. Now, $1 million? That's so much money. Why that number? Well, we heard the friend of Katie's mom tell them, I would never go to these people if I had the choice. A, we get the sense that they're just not going to do fair business, which is exactly what we're seeing here. And B, that the magic itself is super dangerous. And we get privy to that at the end of the episode. They know nobody else knows how to do this. Even the professors at Break Bills have never even seen a case like it before. So they are, they are the only ones that could help her. You know, not to complain about Julia and Katie, but they really weren't thinking they should have brought up a payment plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then their interest would be through the roof. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, and I'm going to harp on this all episode. One million dollars. What if the Catholic Church charged one million dollars for an exorcism? If they were the only ones doing it, they could probably get away with charging whatever they want because when people are that desperate, they'll find a way. I don't think you and I could find a way if our life depended on it to get $1 well, million dollars in gold. probably not, but we don't have magic. <laughs> That's true. But it does set the bar high enough where they do have to go to a bank. And it's kind of, this is what I mean. The $1 million is serious but silly at the same time, which is just like the magicians. And it works perfectly. Speaking of money, in Fillory, the High Council tells Elliot and Margot there are Lorian troops amassing by the border. Elliot wonders if they can take the declaration back, but it's too late. Also, every engineer is working on cleaning the wellspring, and they anticipate it to be fixed soon. But that and the war are both expensive, and they don't have the necessary funds. Fillory is broke. So we know that they still haven't cleared the poop. But it seems like it's working. What exactly are they doing? decontaminating it. That's all we know. Okay. The fact that they don't show us Mm -hmm. what they're doing just leaves my imagination to the worst things possible. It also makes me wonder if the High Council is lying to appease them. Oh, yes, it's working. It's going along great. Just going to take time. One could say it's going along swimmingly. (laughs) Oh, gross. (laughs) So, Loria is serious about this war. They're ready to attack. Doesn't seem like we've made a lot of war plans. No, not at all. Rearranging some chess pieces on the board there. You know what they're missing? 
artillery, that is. You know how most kingdoms have that one champion? Mm. They don't have that champion. Some big dude that is like kick ass, like the rock is there or something, you know? If that winds up being a Foo Fighter, I'm going to be a little disappointed. (laughs) Well, it might be cool. Why not? Just because the Lorians seem so much more badass. I want someone like that on our side. Someone who knows master illusion magic and wears fur coats. Yeah. (laughs) They would look cooler. Meanwhile, Julia and Katie scope out Milton National Bank. It is a regular bank, but it has magical wards. Katie explains that this is true of all banks connected to the Federal Reserve. They begin to hear the sound of the Haxenpaxen coming from the trunk. When they get close enough, they are thrown back by a magic force and he breaks out. He begins fighting with some invisible creature. When the fight is over, he lies bleeding with a huge hole in his stomach and then he dies. Katie says they need to get somewhere safe, but Julia won't like it. Yeah, this scene was a little bit confusing to me. I know we're going to bring up the question again later, but what exactly was the point of bringing the Haxon Paxson in to the storyline if he doesn't seem to fulfill anything in the plot? You know, they saved him, they took him away from Dana, but he didn't really do much. Well, I think there's two reasons. One, they lost one of their key protections from the fox. So they found one, Mm -hmm. and we learned of it, which is they can't be found while in his grasps or while around him. And two, it shows us how dangerous these goblins are. If he wasn't there, that means they'd have to attack one of them, which means they would have had to defeated it Mm -hmm. because they can't die yet, right? Or die at all. And I don't think we would have realized how bad these goblins are and how powerful they can be. Right. And how dangerous. The Mudang magic, how strong it was. Right. That kind of leads me to another question, though, that that makes sense, postponing the moment of imminent harm to Julia. But why were they able to find her in the first place? If the Haxon Paxon scent is strong enough to keep away Reynard the Fox, which is one of the most powerful creatures we know about right now. He's a god. God. Yeah. And it seems as though the Haxon Paxon is the only thing that could disguise her presence, yet a goblin is able to find them? I had that in my notes as well. That I don't know. It eludes me. But it could be because the Mudangs are so powerful. I mean, if they're powerful enough to kill a baby god, mm-hmm. they're probably powerful enough to elude magic that is too much for a god mm-hmm. itself. I mean, I'm pulling this out of my ass. This might not be why. It just feels improbable given the level of danger that Reynard poses. And I guess they know what they're looking for because they understand that this duo is in fact trying to hide a demigod. They know exactly what to seek out. But it seemed like that was the reason for bringing the Hex and Paxson with them in the trunk so he would be close enough to keep cloaking them. And then once he dies, Reynard has been on them like white on rice. Mm-hmm. Hex and Paxson's <clears throat> gone and Reynard doesn't show up the entire rest of the episode. I has, mean, I know we get her back to the school later, so that works, but... Has he been on them? They've been looking for him. Yeah, but for instance, the minute Julia took the Hex and Paxson from Dana's house... Reynard was there to kill Dana. Yes. I think he was looking for Dana. I think he's letting the baby cook. Yeah. I remember you saying that last episode. So he has no reason to be there yet. Right. When it's time, he'll know, he'll feel it, and that's when he'll be there. That makes sense. I mean, I suppose he could capture her and keep her in a corner until the baby arrives, but I, I think that's just not his play right now. 
Right. Did you feel bad for the Hexen Paxen? I did. Me too. And I kind of wished we would have gotten a little more time with him. The poor creature was kept chained up like an animal by Dana yeah. for God knows how long. And he was just in a trunk. <laughs> was rescued by Julia, we thought, exactly, only to be locked in a trunk, have to duel with a magic invisible <clears throat> goblin and then be killed in a gruesome way by having one of his organs Ugh. scooped out with a wood spoon. <laughs> yeah. And I believe, and I may be wrong with this, but I believe the goblin was coming for Julia, mm. which I'm right about that. And I, But I think he came out and fought it. I don't think the goblin was going after him first. So I think he was protecting them and died doing so, which made me feel even worse for him. Yeah, I think it was actually his magic that pushed Julia and Katie back from the trunk. Yeah. To get Absolutely. them out of the way. I don't think that was the goblin. I think that was the Haxon Paxon. And he was able to grab whatever that thing is. It looked like by the throat. Mm. He probably could see it. It probably wasn't invisible to him. He fought it off and killed it, but he was killed in the meantime. Yeah. To me, when he was dying, he grabbed Julia's hand and kind of moved it away as to say, I want to die. Mm. I'm ready to die. Yeah. Or there's no hope. Well, this life is... Been no good for him. Exactly. Certainly. That's what I was getting. That's what I was getting to. Mm. That's very sad. It played a big role with taking him from the house. All that we just said, that wouldn't have been there. Oh sure, it was definitely necessary to move the plot line forward. And it's to give us a loss as well. Mm. This was a big loss for them. And it caused them to have to come up with a different plan. Oh, for sure. They had to return to break bills. So next, we see them there, and Professor Lipson assesses Julia. She says her problems extend beyond her uterus. The fetus is now entangled with her soul. As she's never even seen one before, she can't fix it for her. Julia will need to find a mudang. It's their area of expertise. This is the first we're hearing of them from break bills. But Katie and Julia explain they have found one, but they're expensive. In a side conversation... Professor Lipson says Julia is fucked, and she knows how Dean Fogg regards hedges, but thinks they should grant her asylum there, and he agrees. Yes. Grudgingly. <laughs> I love the fact that when she's talking about how fucked they are, the actress really played that off well. It was almost comical. Yes. And also the fact they left the door open, and they were maybe six feet away from Julia. And she, she does. Hear she does realize it, Professor Lipson, at some point. She turns around. Yeah. Like, oh, shit. And I think it was either herself or Dean Fogg that said, we have tried to get a Mudang to teach here, mm. but they're too expensive. And that was their response to Julia saying how much money they wanted. But they could have helped get the money. They could have helped somehow. Yeah, they had nothing to do with that. They brought up the situation they were in with Marina because Dean Fogg didn't even want to grant her asylum which of course is the very least he could do, and eventually he does, but then they kind of just let her go hide out in the physical yeah. cottage. And that's it, yeah. And I know I'm harping on this a lot, but it means a lot to me because I really love Dean Fogg's character, yeah. and I love the actor as well. We, we want him to be more of a protector mentor, a Dumbledore figure, if you will. Yeah, but then again, Dumbledore always fucked shit up and wasn't really there to help till right at the end. Yes, <laughs> very true. There are some similarities, but he did seem to care a lot. Sometimes I have to wonder if Dean Fogg even cares. He just seems so flippant about all of it. Is he still dealing with his own losses? I'm his sure and his hands? that hasn't been an easy thing for him. 
And it seems like the school is going along as if nothing went wrong. Yeah, they know about everything that's happened in Fillory, what went down with the Beast, Jane Chatwin, now Reynard and the Julia situation. They know that magic is dying in the world. You see someone like Mayakovsky on his own trying to come up with a solution, but Dean Fogg doesn't seem to be doing a lot. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do about saving magic, you know? This is what I would have done if I was Dean Fogg. First of all, I would have helped with killing the beast. But second, once the kids came to me saying that they're about to go to war and explained everything to me, I'd say, all right, well, our senior classes and our junior class and all the teachers are going to come to Fillory with you and fight this war with you Hmm. because it's in their best interest as well. They're losing magic due to this. And that would be more than enough magic and power to defeat the Lorians. Or at least to help de-shitinate the well, as Margot puts it. <laughs> just get a shovel and just scoop that shit up. You know, I was thinking a while ago, but it would have it sucked storyline-wise because there wouldn't be these issues to go through. And it wouldn't be as interesting. But I was thinking when the beast died in Fillory, that magic... Like, can you picture the magic like coming out of his mouth returning and returning to, the world. to its home? Yeah. Mm, going back to the well. Yeah. It's actually a really Envision good that. idea. I but like that. It would have been nice, but that we wouldn't have any of these issues and it'd be boring. So they couldn't have done that. Yeah, maybe just enough to get them out of imminent danger with the magic. They would have still had a lot of other problems to contend with. And visually, you're right. That would have been a nice moment. Now let's go to the physical cottage, where Quentin is still trying to work out the Niffin casting spell as Julia and Katie enter the physical cottage. Wondering what's going on, Quentin goes to talk to Julia, followed by Alice. What's this bitch doing in my room? I know. This was her room, right? I guess they haven't moved her stuff yet, but Fog said space was limited, so... I talked to Katie. What, no respect for the dead, Q? Are you just going to let her sit on my bed? Jules, I don't know what to say. Say what you're thinking. That I'm cursed. Must have been a serial killer in a past life. Yeah, raise your hand if she's the reason that you fucking exploded in this life. I'm sorry for everything that's happened. Yeah, speak for yourself. For everything that you're going through. Mm, you're just lying to her, Q. I'm sorry, I'm just having a hard time. Yeah, because you blame I'm her. I'm blaming you for Alice. If I'm being honest. No, if I make you feel so shitty, just go. No. Why? I'm the reason. If I'm the reason, and I... Because that doesn't feel right either. I don't know what's right. My best friend in the world does crazy shit and doesn't trust me and doesn't listen to me. It's not that simple, and you know it. I don't... What am I supposed to do? You guys are both so goddamn maudlin. I promised you in Fillory... When you told me about Reynard, that I would help you somehow. And that is, is not a promise that I intend on breaking. So if there's anything that I can do. Actually, there is. Help us rob a bank. Oh my god, yes. For once, Alice agrees. Mm-hmm. And in a funny way. I love the way she agreed. Yeah, that was a good... It was a good moment, although I was really waiting for the reunion between Quentin and Julia when they finally had a chance to talk. 
There's been so much crazy stuff to go down and a lot of emotions flying back and forth, resentment and anger between them. His performance felt very heartfelt and they agreed to get back on the same page. But I guess I was looking for a little more of an emotional, no, an emotional, just kind of their best friends back together. You know, I wanted it up another notch, I guess. Yeah. uh, Well, I saw a couple things, you know, Q often comes across as a self-pitying person. Mm -hmm. And I was really happy to see him shed those feelings and really step up this time. And he was there for his friend while he's still trying to be there for this haunting friend who is haunting him and and making his life miserable. He can hardly even focus on the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. His performance felt really heartfelt and open with her. I don't don't mean to sound like it's all Julia because I've been harping on her a lot, but it was more the chemistry between them. I see. That his his apology was for real, Mm -hmm. but now where is the, like, let's hug. I missed hanging out with my best friend. Yeah, we're going to do this together. We're going to go fucking rob a bank. I don't think they're there yet, and I don't think there will be. Yeah. And I'm glad they didn't do that because we kind of got that, not kind of, we really got that with Penny and Katie. If they and both, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, me too. But I think if it was both at the, in the same episode. Yeah, too much. Yeah. Definitely. They're both still hurt. Like you're saying, they're going to need some time to get over it, even though they want to be there for each other. Yeah, and her emotions are fucked up right now. She's gone through so much, and she never pities anything about herself. Well, I'm starting She's to never worry. never wallowing in herself. I'm starting to worry that she might not have emotions, period, <clears throat> though. And so, that's not a... A rag against the actress, just how the character is. Maybe something has died inside of her. Maybe, but this might be the type of person she is. She's one of those that takes life by the balls and like decides what she wants to be good at and just focuses on that, right? With school, with getting into Yale. Yes. In this case, also, you ever been so involved in something so intense that while you're going through it, you're just plowing through it. You're not allowing emotions to take over. But then once it's over, it hits you like a cloud and you just start pouring uh, tears. This might happen once this is all gone. That might be when she breaks down. Well, we kind when of... When she can reflect. I hear you. And we kind of saw that whole process play out with her, though, in season one, where she was initially so depressed. Eventually, mm-hmm. she turned it all off so she could learn magic. And then they got to Fillory together when she learned about the actual events that had occurred with Reynard and the fact that he had raped her, those emotions did come pouring back in and she couldn't deal with it. Over time, while the beast was trying to tempt her, I can fix this. I can remove part of your shade. You won't have to hurt anymore. I kind of saw walls gradually going up. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to deal with it on my own. But I don't think she did deal with it on her own. Mm-hmm. I think she just completely bricked it up. And I'm getting scared that because of everything she's been through, she might be shut off permanently and not really know how to... I mean, what's giving me hope is she has connected with Katie. And there is a friendship there. There's oh, a bond sure. that they share. So, you know. We can't breeze over the fact that Fog put Julia in Alice's room. I was going to say, why in the hell did he do that? Because in my mind, Alice is still present and around. But to him, I suppose, Alice is gone. That's a place to stay. 
I don't know. <laughs> you know, he doesn't know what Quentin's going through with her right now. Yeah, but even if she's gone, he should understand what the physical house is going through with her being gone and just to throw someone else in right away. Even like the, the room hasn't been cleared. Yeah, I guess it's very he, disingenuous of he him. He thinks they're all friends. I don't know. Okay. He might not get the ins and outs. And to end the scene, Q's quote, I promised I would help you and I don't plan on breaking it. Tell me what you want me to do. And I was just like anticipating. And she was like, help us rob a bank. I love that. That was so key. And it could have been corny and it wasn't. And then we got Alice with uh, yes, please or something like that. It was great. We're going to get that with a couple of characters as they bring everyone on board with the bank heist. But they handled it well because it didn't feel repetitive. It was exciting every time someone else agreed knowing that you were building that group back up. That carries over into the next scene when Penny goes to the Breakbills library in search of a book for Mayakovsky, Future Movements of Magic. But the librarian tells him it was destroyed by other books because it was written by a Polish scientist who is also Jewish. <laughs> so the eugenic books came for it. They've now been put into the restricted section with all the other anti-Semitic texts. Uh, I thought that was hilarious. Wonderful how they bring even inanimate objects like mm-hmm. books to life. This is one of the things that they're really able to do is they don't have to show you the magic happening. We've seen books work their magic in the past, so we mm-hmm. know what to like see in our brain. And while they were doing that, it painted a picture in my head. So I did get to see it in my brain of, of these books fighting. Ganging up. It's so funny. On the one yeah. little book. <laughs> and now they're in punishment. They're yeah. locked away. Agreed. And at that moment there, Penny runs into Katie. There's one awkward second, and then he kisses her, and they start knocking over books in their passion. He later asks her what she's really up to, and when Katie says they need to rob a bank, he says he's in. Did you expect this kind of reaction from Penny? No. I thought he was going to pull his typical wounded... Yeah. Pissed off. Guarded. (laughs) I'm not going to let myself... Guarding his emotions with sarcasm and mean thoughts. But as much as I envisioned that, I didn't want it. Me neither. It's been so long for the two of them. They really are good together. And I was so happy to see them back on screen. Even if it was cheesy, I loved the fact. Do you think they're going to have that conversation eventually? I I still kind of want them to say something. I get that they didn't need to right at this second... And it said more for them to just be able to kiss and Mm -hmm. embrace. But once more, we've been having Penny and Katie as individual characters somewhat Mm sidelined. Penny's been a little more active. They're always there primarily to support other people's storylines, at least since a while ago in season one. In season one, Katie had the background of what was going on with her mother and trying to figure that out. But once they split as a couple, they lost individual focus Right from then until now, I think. Penny has kind of had his issue with his hands, but everybody else is putting that on the back burner for him. <laughs> so I'd like them to come back to the forefront a little as a couple, and maybe this does allow them to do so by pairing off together. Now, Penny hasn't found the moss yet. No, no, he has not because he does say it in this episode. Remember, guys, I still can't do magic. Right. I can transport myself into the room, but that's about it. I still think he's the most important magician 
And of they're the crew. downplaying that. How terrifying must it be to willingly walk into these situations? They're getting attacked left and right. Anything could happen. At one point, he gets locked in that room. Yeah. And he has no way to defend himself or help himself except to travel. He can't do magic. I, too, was very happy to see them back together. I think they're a power couple. Hmm. And now that they're back, things are going to get good. Clatchers, we want to tell you about Patreon. Patreon is a place where you can join our crew and our closest Clatchers, where you get bonus content, bonus episodes from Christina and myself, and movie reviews. We talk about a ton of different topics. Sometimes we just kick back. It's really relaxed. We discuss more personal issues. You get to know us a little bit better. Nothing crazy. But also fun stuff like ghost stories, fun news. Like what does your blood type say about your personality? Outtakes from the show. The British Beast. It's fluffy, black, long-snouted. It's a burring creature. It's a... It's a burrowing, burrowing. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck you. Give me the giggles. Okay. That's definitely going in our <laughs> outtakes. It's a bad outing. It's <laughs> burrowing. I think I'm like, my mouth is dry and I'm out of water. Yeah, bloopers, more like. And we also review the other TV shows, movies, and books that we're into right now. Not in depth, but we give you a short synopsis and tell you why it's good. Make our recommendations. We go over pop culture, meaning what's going on right now. If there's an award show. Breaking news about former shows that we cover on CKC, like Game of Thrones, Mr. Robot, Westworld. And news on the CKC growth. We have a few storylines and potentials that we'll let only our closest Clatchers in on right now. Now, I know you hate when people interrupt the podcast for these boring commercial breaks, so we're not going to do this all the time. And for this one, we're going to make it a little more fun and interesting. We'll only keep you for a few more minutes to tell you about something really cool coming up. Now, besides our bonus episodes, we also give you in-depth reviews for the hottest movies out there right now. We go to the movie theaters, we eat too much popcorn, and we indulge in the best movie out there, and then we give you great reviews. This month is going to be Beauty and the Beast. Christina, can you give them a lowdown in two minutes or less? I'll do my best. Let me talk fast. Directed by Bill Condon, produced by Walt Disney Pictures, the film is a live-action reimagining of Disney's 1991 animated film of the same name, itself an adaption of Jean-Marie Le Prince de Beaumont's fairy tale. The film stars a British and American ensemble cast that includes Emma Watson, Dan Stevens, Luke Evans, Kevin Kline, Josh Gad, Ewan McGregor, Stanley Tucci, Audrey McDonald, Ian McKellen, and Emma Thompson. In the film, Belle is taken prisoner by a fearsome beast in exchange for the freedom of her father, Maurice. She is kept in the beast's enchanted castle, and despite her fears, she befriends the castle's enchanted staff and learns to look beyond the beast's appearance to recognize the true heart and soul of the human prince within. All this while evading a hunter, a narcissistic man named Gaston, who is on the loose to take Belle for himself Gaston. and later intends to hunt down the beast at any cost. Principal photography of the film began at Shepperton Studios in Surrey, England on May 18th, 2015, and the movie itself will be in theaters on March 17th. Now, you guys are watching The Magicians, so you love magic, you love worlds that are different from ours, and this is definitely going to be one of those worlds. 
We went behind the scenes a little bit. I splurged and bought an entertainment magazine, real thick, about $15, but it has the background on everything, interviews with the cast, how they went about combining live action with voice acting, CGI, the fact that they built a whole town hmm. <laughs> to look like the small provincial town that Belle is from. There's just so much cool stuff in there. So I know that this review is probably going to be two hours long and jam-packed with fun information. Our Patreon members will get on the timeline many pictures of this book because there's beautiful photos, full color. It's really exciting. If you were thinking about Patreon, now is definitely the time to join for us because it is going to be a great month for the bonus content. And when you become a memory, you have access to the entire library. So every month's worth of bonuses and movie casts that we've done in the past, you have full access to. By joining us, you don't only get the extra content, but you also help us by providing us the opportunity to keep this show going. Hosting costs is almost $200 a month that we're paying for, and the time and effort that we put in. It's just a great way to keep this boat float. And to keep it improving, for instance, last month's Patreon contributions helped go towards getting better microphone stands for us so we can improve the audio quality for everyone. Yeah, we now have boom arms. I feel really cool. We'll take some pictures and put those up on Twitter. We won't bother you anymore with that, but think about it. If you're interested, just go take a look at the Patreon website, see what we have to offer, and hear what the other Clatchers have to say. The easiest way to navigate to that is go to coffeeclatchcrew.com, and on the homepage, you'll see a big orange bar. It says Patreon. Click on that, and you're right to our page. Can't miss it. Back to the episode, magicians. Back to the magic! Let's go to White Spire. Fen comes to bring Elliot food in his bedroom, where he's already asleep. She watches him lovingly, it seems. You think lovingly? I thought creepy. A little bit, but that's kind of Fen's character, and maybe, thank goodness, she's there, given what happens later on. Do you ever watch me like that? Absolutely not. Okay, good. <laughs> Just making sure. Well, it turns out that Elliot's asleep because his mind is with his doppelganger back at Breakbills. Elliot and Margot break it to Quentin that Fillory is at war and broke. So, how have you been since, um... Uh, I'm managing. Um, how are things with you guys? Glad you asked. We're at war. Also, Fillory is seriously dangerously stone-cold broke. Wait, how is that even possible? The Nugget Beetles of the Outer Islands, they literally shit precious stones. Fallen extinct, apparently. Ember shitting in the power grid really screwed us in a cornucopia of ways. And before you ask, yes, every alchemist in history is a lying, cheating illusionist. They turn lead into gold, it turns right back in a day. So we are boned. How would you guys feel about robbing a bank? As soon as this scene started, I realized this is how we get the whole crew involved mm -hmm. in the bank robbery. The reunion. And I thought it was so delicately and beautifully put together. I'm um, Just imagine being the writers, like, how do we get the crew back together for this? What's a cool, not obviously just thrown together way? And I think this was perfect. Yes, and the dork inside of me really wants to see a Nugget Beetle. <laughs> me too. <laughs> and the Outer Islands, for that matter. That's twice they've made mention of this location. And yet, as we said before, it is not to be found on the Fillory map. Quentin goes on to explain to the others that the robbery is for Julia to pay the Mudang. Penny agrees to travel them in there. After all, he always wanted to rob a bank. They toast and start to plan. Margot adds to Julia, 
P.S. We still hate you, but it's the 21st century. It shouldn't be this hard for a girl to get an evil demigod abortion. And Elliot adds, Yes, and we're emotionally advanced. We can hold resentment and sympathy for a person at the same time. <laughs> so perfect. But how will they do it? Margot says she's actually done this before, back in high school when she had issues. So she's going to lay it all out for them. Now, Penny definitely was mad at first. He's like, you want me to do this for Julia? <laughs> Which is understandable. But I love his reaction to it afterwards. Like, this is something that is right up Penny's alley, I think. Despite a lot of his bitching and moaning <laughs> and how he does complain at times, he is a very self-sacrificing person. Absolutely. Whenever there is something to be done, he is the first to step up. We've said that a lot. Like in the past episode when he went to find Margot in her dream because he wants to figure out how to help them, the castle has disappeared. When she starts explaining it to him, he says, don't worry, I'll find you. Like, I will make this shit happen. Yeah. And more and more as the seasons go on, I think he is maturing and becoming the most valuable member of the group. MVM. MVM forever. Which you won't allow me to give him Overall. <laughs> well, here's where you got to wait. Now, if you Clatchers are not familiar with how we do this system, if you haven't listened to our previous shows, we give an MVM for every episode, but then at the end of every season for the show we review, we do a bonus cast. One final follow-up episode where we talk about everything we didn't have time to go over during the season. One of those things is that we review our ratings that we've given to every episode and our MVMs, and we give a season final. So the most valuable magician for all of season two. And I think you really just might want to save Penny for that. But that's something for you guys to keep in mind, too. So when the time comes, you can send us your votes as well. Time to plan the heist. Margot now explains Ocean's Eleven style to the group. Even her speech is regressed to wannabe tough high school twang. <laughs> yes. Milton National uses one of a handful of security systems whose companies are all owned by magicians. The people that work at the banks are all muggles, of course. <laughs> I love the fact that she used muggles. She actually said that. Besides just the nerd in me, like, loving the fact she said muggles, I think what really touches all of our spirits when they do that is even though this is a universe that isn't on our plane, it kind of makes it feel more real because it's like, oh, they watch that show too, and they love it. Not only that, but this stuff is all real, and it's just behind the curtain, and we're yeah. pulling that curtain back for you. That magic is everywhere. It's right at the bank you might see every day. You just don't know that it's owned by magicians yeah. and protected by spells. I'll never walk into the bank the same. Hmm. I think I'll stop in front of the door and try to see if I see a veneer of magic. <laughs> so them being muggles, they don't know the vault inside also has a secret feature. Serious wards to keep out magicians. The bank manager's fingerprints control the alarm system. It takes two managers scanning their fingerprints simultaneously, and then they have 10 minutes to get downstairs, pass guards, and enter a 10-digit combo. If you're a magician, you will also trip the magic wards where they have battle magicians on staff. These are kick-ass mages. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to do this, once they lift the prints and drop the wards, they will need to travel in. But the entire floor of the vault is one big anti-traveling sigil. If you hit the floor and trip it, you will get stuck inside until you run out of air. So they figure they just need to levitate Penny using a gravity belt, and then he can travel in. Yeah, a couple of things before we move on with this scene. 
So I loved it. I love that Margo is the brains behind the operation. You've been hearing me talk all season long about her stepping up and proving her worth, that she's not just this snarky person who's around for fun, humorous comments. She actually knows a lot about magic. She comes up with these ideas when no one else knows what to do. It's like, no problem, guys. There's all this crazy shit protecting the bank, but I got this. (laughs) I'm going to help us break into a bank. I was a little put off by the fact that as soon as she started describing the plans, her voice changed. Yeah. And she started talking in this bizarre, kind of hyper-exaggerated cadence. I think that was on purpose. I suppose. I guess it was. And when you pointed that out, that she probably is regressing to her high school self yeah. and kind of reveling in it. It, it, it adds up. I don't know. I just, just like be Margot, you know? Uh, I thought it was perfect. But anyway, I got over that really quickly. And what I actually love about the entire scene is it explains why magicians don't all just rob banks constantly and steal money. It gives you as a TV watcher a reason for that. But in the books, it was exactly the opposite. That's basically what they did. When magicians were forced to live in the real world, they just used spells to steal money from ATMs Mm -hmm. or things like that. They never had to worry about money. It was hard enough to do the day-to-day like we saw with Quentin at Plaxco. So they couldn't stand having to actually worry about something like paying bills. They wouldn't even know where to start with that. And a lot of times somebody like Dean Fogg or another student who had already left would help them kind of get situated and started off. So they went the total opposite direction for it, for the TV adaptation. Yeah. This was so fun. The visuals they had of the bank and and everyone loves a good heist. And the way they were able to put this into this magic TV show it's just done well. It really was like a playoff Ocean's Eleven where they go to scope it out and they start talking about their in-depth plans to break through the security measures. Yeah. <laughs> and this is our first scene with them all back together. Yeah. I love that. It was like the Avengers are back, you know? <laughs> I, I asked myself stupidly because I, I get enthralled in these dumb conversations in my head. They're in that same alley. And I'm like, is the Hex and Paxson still dead like down the hall? Or down the alley? Yeah. Or did they get rid of him? I think they mentioned at the end of the scene we should bury him. Or put him back in the trunk, at least. I don't think they had time to bury him. I think they said bury him, though. Okay. I mean, they didn't show them doing that. Maybe they can magically... Maybe. Magic him into a grave or something. Before they can do more, whatever attack the Hacks and Paxson comes after them again in the alley. They leave, but Katie goes after it with battle magic because she needs its spoon. And at this point, we have no idea why. No idea. No clue. What the hell does she need a wooden spoon for? But she is badass. She's always ready to to fight something, huh? She saved Julia last episode. Yep. And talking about Katie, she brings the bloody spoon to the Mudang, who sent the magical goblin creature after them. The hedge witch says, it's old magic that you bring to life using old abandoned things, such as a wooden spoon. The creatures are mercenaries, so if you kill one, another shows up in its place until the job is finished. And that explains the whole procedure of them continuing to appear, the weirdness of the wooden spoon. Katie, I think, had some kind of knowledge about that. She knew she had to take it back to them, and she knew they were behind it. I think she put it together, but did you? Because I didn't. Not until 
they spelled it out for us, no. Yeah, I didn't know what it was or why I was coming for them. I knew it wasn't the fox because he works alone. But I wonder if anyone else picked that up, which is, it's cool because it, it's like so obvious, but not obvious. For a half a second, the first time we saw it, I thought it was Reynard. Okay. But very shortly into that, I realized it couldn't be. And the other woman explains now. The first woman that she was arguing with in an earlier scene wants to kill Julia to play it safe and get the baby before it's too late. This woman, however, thinks that's stupid because they should get paid first. So she urges them to hurry up with her gold or she'll let her do it. She was letting her do it. I mean, she wasn't stopping her at all. She's just encouraging the million dollar payment she wants. I thought this woman was so funny. Her scenes were brilliant. Yeah. She speaks fast. She's witty. She's kind of bitchy. <laughs> it was perfect. Hmm. I wonder if they're going to get the million dollars. That's a lot of money or million dollars in gold. Wouldn't that woman tell her friend, you got to chill out. Just give them a couple days because we can get some, <sighs> some milli millies. You would think so. Seems she, for all her pretenses, though, is also a little worried. Of course. About the length of time this has been going on and the safety risks it poses. So they're pretty much evil, right? I mean, they're kind of self-absorbed. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't think they're evil. I think self-absorbed is really, they just care about what's good for them. At that point, Julia suddenly remembers the heavy cooperative magic that the free traders did once, a spell called the quarterback, which allows you to go back in time 15 seconds. She thinks it will take time to figure out, but she can do it. Julia can't come to rob the bank because if she steps outside of Breakbill's wards, the goblin will find and kill her. But she can watch with her mirror bond magic. So this is Katie again, um, kind of, you know, helping her out and saving her. Don't worry. We have our necklaces. You'll be able to watch. There's the mirror. When they brought up the quarterback, I knew that they're going to have to go back in time from that of moment on. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, that's the whole point of the spell. And here's I thought another, it was 15 minutes, though. Here's another instance where Julia is sidelined in the sense that she's not allowed to be with the group performing yeah. the heist, and that could have been really frustrating, but they gave her kind of a purpose by allowing her to be the one that works this spell yeah. that will save them. <clears throat> I, kind <clears throat> of a purpose. Major purpose. And at this point, this is when I started feeling bad about Julia. And this is what I brought up in the beginning of the episode. Mm -hmm. What she's going through right now mirrors everything that she's had to go through in this loop. She's sidelined yet again. She can't go with the crew. She can't be a part of the crew in this. Mm -hmm. And it really started making me go through all of the shit that's happened to her these two seasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. But she, as you said before, she is consumed with trying to figure out the spell now. She remembers it from when they did it. She talks about when they went to get pizza or something, when they were part of the free trader group and Richard was still friendly Richard and mm -hmm. not Reynard the Fox. And she's convinced if she puts her mind to it, she's going to figure it out. So that does equate to she's not feeling depressed, separated, left behind. Plus she can follow all of it yeah. by watching them. In the meantime... Margot describes the bank managers to the rest of the crew, who she calls white privilege and neckbeard. She tells Katie how they can get the prints off them, and Katie and Quentin decide to do it. It seems the magic turns their fingers into the manager's fingers, <laughs> but not all went according to plan, and Q had to get his by way of the digital underground. 
Yeah, this was another case of them not having to divulge mm-hmm. exactly what happened, but letting our imaginations take over. And we knew. Yeah. Come on, the look on his face. He hardly <laughs> even had to speak a word when he walked back in there. Yeah. And poor Q just always being the one put <laughs> yeah, in the embarrassing. True. He can never do anything <laughs> heroic or amazing. He's always got to be that guy. Yeah. And this is one of those scenes that gave us levity to the intense nature of this episode. Mm. We get the banter between the crew, or the three of them, and it's funny and it's lighthearted. Penny laughing. It was perfect. I felt like I was laughing with my friends. Yeah, even though you know what's about to come is going to get real. And this kind of reminded me of Harry Potter. When they had to break into Gringotts? Yeah. Yeah. And they had to dress as uh, the, the other two magicians. Absolutely. It's finally time to rob the bank, and Margot says she will stay outside because everyone knows the brains of the operation drives the getaway. So Margot is perfect. <laughs> the crew distracts two guards with magic that makes them go off to have sex. <laughs> then they send bees in through the vents and clear the customers out. That was a good idea. For sure. You want to get everyone out of there. And yes, dressed as a team of exterminators in suits, they enter the bank. They magic the cameras to make them invisible. Magic the bees out through the vents. This is the point where that Marley song starts playing. And scan their fingerprints. Then Penny travels into the vault levitated. He has some kind of remote control that he's using to move around. Yeah. I guess there was the levitating magic and that keeps him afloat. But they also figured out this device. I wasn't quite totally clear on it. Physical kids, it's one of their devices that they make often. So it's not a first time. Okay, so they had it. Yeah. Just kind of lying around. Well, this is also where you get a glimpse of the tiles on the floor. You could see the sigils. And I was thinking to myself, if a normal muggle walked in there, they would just think, who is the decorator putting this (laughs) weird shit on the tiles, you know? But anyhow, it seems really hard for him to move. You can see that straight off. He doesn't have a lot of control over the device. Well, he has no practice with it, (laughs) first of all. And he's struggling because every time he puts a gold bar in, it brings him down and he has to adjust for his weight. Yeah. That was a clear oversight. I mean, it's not to be mean, but it's Elliot performing (laughs) the magic. And if there's one member I wouldn't 100% trust to get his spells right, Elliot hasn't been the most master magician of the group thus far. When too many bars are added, Penny's foot finally touches, touches the ground. It. So bad for tip, him. I, he almost didn't even notice at first. It mm-hmm. was the tip of his shoe. He didn't notice. He tried to uh, get out. Yeah. And that's when he realizes someone messed up the buoyancy math, and now he's stuck in the vault. How funny was this scene? Just Penny there. Penny alone. That's how good this actor is. He's alone in a room. And he's not even saying anything. And he's able to make us laugh. <laughs> perfect. And now... If you think about the terror of this situation, I would be freaking out that you're stuck inside of there, you've tripped the alarms, and that air is going to run out really soon. But instead, he does some quick thinking and tells Elliot all of this by traveling into his dream where his real body is back in Fillory. Then the crew can come up with a plan. They decide they're going to tell the bank that the extermination is taking longer than they thought and get Penny out. But when the group goes back in... The two guards are in there. Elliot needs to distract them. He does so by throwing a small disco ball. 
and I Am the Beast plays in the background, which forces the guards to dance. He says it's a weapon of peace, and he has experience with it from the many parties that he put on. (laughs) It looks like they're making it work, but then they cut back to Penny, who's running out of air. And the crew figures out there's no way to pick the lock, and they can't brute force the door open either. Before we get to that scene, did you love the dance scene or not? How perfect I was that? loved it. <laughs> it was classic Elliot. Oh, for sure. The magic he has come up with on his own. Well, other people are, you know, Julia's back there trying to figure out this huge cooperative <laughs> spell that reverses time. And I can just picture <clears throat> Elliot back in the day at break bills on a normal Saturday afternoon in his room fiddling with a disco ball because nobody danced at the last party <laughs> for crying out loud. And he overdid it and they danced too much. Mm-hmm. It seems all is lost until Alice shows up and agrees to help. For a price, she barters with Quentin. She wants one hour a day where she gets control of Quentin's body. She says she won't hurt anyone. She just wants some freedom. He can set the terms and they can do a word as bond. So she can't break the deal. He agrees to 30 minutes with the bond. With that settled, she guides him on how to unlock the door, although he doesn't tell the group about Alice. This is when it really started pissing me off. I I get to a certain extent why he hasn't told them up until now. They all thought he was going crazy, telling them that she was still there in some sense and that he just hadn't let it go yet. He had to move on. Well, when she takes over his body every day for a half hour, they're really going to think he's gone crazy. Yeah, so he tried to keep it a secret, knowing that he could save her if he could only get this spell right. But if he went to them and said, I'm trying to cast that niffin-saving spell that even Alice herself almost lost control of, that, you know, look what happened to Charlie, they're never going to let him do that. And that's why he's not telling them. But we have already learned time and time again, when the whole crew isn't aware and they can't work together, that's when bad shit happens. And he knows that. And especially so in the moment, he had to do a deal with her so that they could get this door open. Right. But immediately after, he should have said, listen, Hmm. I've gotten myself in way too deep. This niffin' bitch now wants control of my (laughs) body 30 minutes a day. She could kill all of you while I'm totally unaware and out of control. Yeah, with them being aware, they might be able to help while she's in control. (sighs) Has he even thought about what could happen to them, that he could be putting all of his friends' lives in danger? No, I think he was thinking about what was about to happen to Penny. Which is understandable. Yeah. Yeah. In the moment, for sure. Quite a predicament. Yeah. How beautiful was it, though? The the magic used to unlock the door. So well displayed. The math. Mm. So cool. The hands. I love that shit. And we also see simultaneously that Julia is back at home in the cottage working on the invention to do this spell. At the bank, the crew opens the door, but they run out of time on the 10 minutes which trips the magical wards, and a battle magician starts to come after them with mad weapons. She's got a whole wall full of them. Where are they hiding those? She's so relaxed, just walking up slowly, like, I'm going to fuck these people up. (laughs) Uh, They have to run back into the vault and close the door, where Julia sees them in the mirror and realizes what happened. The battle magician opens the door with the code, but then Julia is finally able to work the quarterback spell and send the crew back in time 15 seconds. Hut, hut, hike. She warns them they only have four rewinds to work with. 
it kind of makes sense. They don't have time to think about it or plan, no, especially seconds. the first one. The first time she had no choice. Like you're all about to be dead, so I gotta, I gotta run this right now. And the first time they try, they step out. They all get electrocuted by the battle magician's wand Ooh. weapon. But the second, third, fourth time, they're really not coming up with a plan. They no. just keep running out doing the same exact thing. I mean, 15 seconds is enough to say, okay, let's go this way. Or instead, duck. Anything. Yeah. The second time they go out, the same thing happens. The third time, the only thing that's different is Penny steps in front of everyone. So he gets killed. The last time, they start to come up with a plan. But when they exit the room, she shows up behind them. And she would have killed Quentin if Elliot hadn't jumped in the way. So two things. The plan was that Katie once again would fight. (laughs) It's all up to Katie. This tells me that this battle magician is so powerful. She realized that there was a time spell happening Mm. because she was in a different location this time. Yeah. Snuck up on him. Yeah. Perfect. That Elliot's doppelganger is what gets hit. Yeah, and I was so I relieved. Couldn't it didn't look like he did it on purpose? No, like to jump in the way. Yeah. It was just happenstance. But I actually was thinking to myself, why didn't he just yeah. sacrifice himself, knowing he's the only one that can't actually be hurt? Did you forget for a minute? I did when he was hit half a second I and did. go, <gasps> <laughs> yep. Elliot. Well, he gets cut really badly, but Katie then manages to knock out the battle mage. And as Elliot's golem dies on Earth, he starts seizing in his sleep in Fillory, and Fen calls for the guards. What is going on here? Is he actually being hurt? I think he's in a coma now. His real body in Fillory? He might be in like a a in-between universe or something, you know? A multiverse. Didn't Dean Fogg mention in one of their conversations that his mind was trapped between worlds by doing this? Or he oh, said it to Dean Fogg? Something to that, that nature, he yeah. he felt like he was stuck now, neither here nor there. Yeah, but that was him stuck in two lives. I don't think they were referring to his mind actually be, being stuck in two worlds or between two worlds. Yeah, but we did see that play out when he was having sex with the guy at the physical cottage. And simultaneously sleeping with Fen back in Fillory, his mind was just leaping right back and forth. Yeah. And I could see if something goes wrong, that getting all screwed up. I mean, what if his mind never comes back? Oh, I hope it does. This is one of those cliffhangers that I'm really intrigued by. I can't wait to find out what they do. Remember the spell that Julia did to Quentin to try to get her revenge? And he was trapped inside of his own mind. Yes. And they had to go in and save him. Oh, maybe him. that it's something similar and to that. F- you might be right. Yeah. Oh, I wonder if they go back. It'd be cool if they go back to him as a kid. Because there's got to be a great storyline that made Elliot the way well, he is now. He's always talking about being raised on a farm. Yeah. Can you imagine? It we, might be cool. When we saw Quentin, his nightmares were so dark. He was in mm-hmm. this psychiatric institution. He couldn't get out. I could see Elliot's. Being almost funny, you know, struggling with like, this is the trauma of his youth, the day-to-day farming life. Well, they could parallel the storyline that we're going through right now with like him on the farm and his father forcing him to clean shit, right? So he's got to clean the shit up. And maybe he figures out the key to solving something in Fillory. That'd be cool. Well, if he is okay, 
which let's just hope I'm going to be so upset if something happens to him. But if he comes back and everything's fine, I don't think they're doing this Gollum thing again. And that means Elliot really is now stuck in Fillory. I don't know. There's not going to be any more of this having fun earth traveling with the crew. You might be right. And for our last scene, outside, the goblin monster is choking Julia, who has showed up to help. But Katie comes to her rescue just in time and uses kung fu battle magic to defeat it. (laughs) But it wasn't in time to prevent some harm. This is when we see Julia wake up in the butcher shop where Katie has brought her. Hey. Don't worry too much. I sent past you, but it's going to take a while. Did she do it? Did it work? It's gone. Yeah. She did it. But Julia... There was a complication. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, I couldn't believe... I, I was surprised, but really liked the fact that they didn't finish that. Mm-hmm. That that's how they ended the episode. What do you think the complication's going to be? Well, like I said earlier... They're talking a lot about when something magically goes wrong with somebody. And this is their own magic. Forget about a god's presence growing inside of you at five times the power. But it starts to become inextricably linked with you and your soul, who you are. And you can't get rid of that or do something against it without harming yourself. And they Mm -hmm. warned her of that straight off. Now we've gone a long time since this all began. And we don't even know how fast does a god grow, you know? (laughs) Maybe he grows in two weeks. She didn't have a hump, though. And it's... Well, it could be totally different. A bump, excuse me. (laughs) It could be totally different from a normal baby, you know? Maybe that stuff doesn't happen. It's not like a regular Yeah, maybe it would come out like Game of Thrones, and it's like a... Shadow shadow baby. baby. (laughs) Oh, you just made me miss (laughs) G.O.T. So I think that point has already passed. Yeah. And I don't know if they tried to start doing that magic. Maybe it did start harming her and they had to stop. No, they said, Julia said it was done. They did it. She said they did the, the magic. Yeah. But that's it. She didn't say it removed the baby or it killed the baby. I, we see, don't even uh, know that the, the baby's gone. I think the baby's gone. And I might be wrong on this. You got me doubting myself now. I thought the baby was gone, but something happened to her. I was thinking either she can no longer reproduce Mm. or... Which they did warn us. Yeah. It was a risk. Or she, with them getting rid of the magic beast, not beast, the magic child, they got rid of her magic as well. Oh, altogether? Yeah. Like she can't do magic at all anymore. Right. Well, I think I would call that more than a complication. Well... You got to give it to her softly. She just woke up. <laughs> I don't no know. matter what way you say it, you're done with magic is a horrible like you. catastrophe. Yeah. yeah, I didn't think about that. So let's leave this up to the Clatchers. Let us know. What do you think the complication was? Uh, was it that the baby's not dead? Was it that lost something of herself? And if so, what is that thing? Let us know via Twitter at CKC Podcast. And while you're there, give us a follow. We need to get those numbers up. 
or email us, contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com. Well, Jason, we have gone over all the questions that we had from the episode as we were talking, so I'm going to move right into our filler request. Number seven, emergency withdrawal. This told us Fillory doesn't have a monopoly on quests and it needs gold. So get back to Earth and rob a bank. (laughs) (laughs) While you can't magically create wealth, it's possible to magically steal it if you can get past its protection. The gold in this vault could be the answer to both the war effort in Fillory and Julia's problem on Earth. So flex those fingers and crack the safe. This was one of those really silly move the circle around until the code is right. What I liked, though, when you did it and accomplished it, it said, Alohomora, bitches. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> they can't help it with the Harry Potter <laughs> references. Why not, man? They're, they're all over it this time. So that was fun. I'll tell you, though, what I would like more of are the quests that at the end get you a ton of information, like when we got to see the magic black market or describing the history behind Loria. Yeah. I always want to know more about those things, so... I would kind of like some more of that type. It's that time, Jason. What is your rating for episode seven on a scale of one to ten crowns? I love this episode. So much fun, so much magic, so many quotable scenes, so many emotions. I'm going with 9.5, which is tied, I believe, with the highest for this season. That's correct. You gave episode five cheat day a 9.5, and I gave it a 9.4, which was my highest. We also both gave 9.4s to The Flying Forest, episode four. In thinking back, I really like this episode, but just a smidge less than The Flying Forest and Cheat Day. Those were great episodes, so I gave it a 9.3. But that is a huge step up from the 7.5 I gave last episode. And that takes us to our most valuable magician. Now, I have to be honest with you. Be honest. I did not give my first response for this. My first response was Katie, Mm -hmm. but I had a feeling you might be choosing her. Yeah, because I'm so obvious and simple. (laughs) No, just because she was such a badass bitch in this episode. Then I thought Margot, but I had named her already. And this really put me in a pickle because I've named most of our other main characters throughout the season. You're probably going to be surprised at who I chose. Who? Julia. How so? I think it's coming across as though I really don't like her, which could not be further from the truth. I'm in thinking about it this past week. My knowledge of the book definitely affects things. No matter how hard I try, I just can't stop. Mm. I really liked Julia in the book and the way they're changing her character and her plot line, I think irritates me more because I want to see it be more like that. Okay. And we did go in depth earlier on in the season about the Julia character from the book. And I had talked really passionately about it. Conversely, Margot's character in the book, she was called Janet, got on my very last nerve (laughs) and I couldn't stand her, but I love her on the TV show. Uh, Trying to just think objectively, this episode, she did make amends with Quentin, which was very hard for her to do, get on the same page with the group and figure out a way to do some intense, crazy magic to come up with that quarterback spell so that she could save them from a, a horrible situation, all while she's going through her own personal shit still. That's true. I like where your head's at. I actually loved her in this episode. Yeah. Very much so. It was a good one for her. 
So who's your MVM? I'm going to go with the obvious, Katie. She was so badass in this. And she was badass in last episode, too. Margot was kick-ass. She was. She was the one that planned it all. But Katie saved people's lives time and time again. And for that, she gets the MVM. I'm glad you picked her because the only reason I didn't was hoping you would. So it would have been sad if neither (laughs) did. We also got some really great quotes this episode that we haven't said yet. Most of them coming from Margot. At one point, she said, we've got literally every engineer in the kingdom working to de-shitinate the wellspring. I'm going to go invent the guillotine in a hot second if they don't get their shit together. And later, Ember shitting in the wellspring really screwed us up in a cornucopia of ways. I got one from Penny. They can't see me. I'm not technically here. I'm incepting your ass, your head, your dreams. You're still asleep in Fillory, remember? (laughs) And then Elliot... That is overly complicated. (laughs) It was great. Professor Lipson, after checking up on Julia's pregnancy, she says, have you seen the Twilight movies? Specifically the last one? No. Huh. That's probably for the best. (laughs) That's when she goes out of earshot and says... She's fucked. (laughs) And the many other ones that we did already. Of course. That wraps it up except for our favorite segment, Clatcher's Comments, and we did have a few this time. First of all, big shout out to Jade Boston 86 and me 2343464 for giving us awesome reviews on the Magicians podcast. Keep those coming. We really appreciate it. And everyone who's given us ratings, thank you, thank you so much. Feel free to write to us, email or on Twitter with any questions or comments on the Magicians. And while you're at it, follow us on Twitter. Shout out to Gareth who said I had no idea about this show until you brought it up. Just caught up, and now I've got five episodes of your show to get me up to speed. Nice. Welcome on board. And to Yumaya, who said she really appreciates the research and in-depth deep dives. Our methodical yet fun approach appeals to her Virgo ways. So welcome, fellow Virgo. We also have a few that give feedback on Julia, which we asked for last time. The first one from Anastasia. She says, I really don't mind the Julia storyline, but I agree with you both that it seems like they're paying just enough attention to keep it going, but not enough to give it what it deserves. But then I didn't like the way the story ended in the books either. Reynard's ending was almost a throwaway line. It's as though no one knows what to do with him, including the author. Julia's character in the TV show is also inconsistent. On the one hand, she says she doesn't want any more people to be hurt by him. And then she sods off with the Haxon Paxon or whatever it is and leaves Dana totally unprotected without thinking twice. Also, if Dana had banished him 40 years ago, why was she living in such obvious fear of him hunting her down? They are trying to do too many things at the same time. And the Penny storyline definitely deserves more airtime. Yes, yes, yes. And yes, we agree. On the other side, though, to bolster those of you who are loving on the Julia... Haley wrote in to say she loves how we organize the show with new faces and places and all those things. But the one criticism is how we were hating on the Julia storyline. She says, I know that a lot of people don't love that story, but personally, it's my favorite part of the show and she's my favorite character. My friends and I feel like she gets screwed by people hating on her podcast, not giving it the recognition that Stella's acting deserves. So hopefully we have covered that a little bit better to give you um, either side of things. I... I just want to say that I definitely am not hating on her and especially not Stella's acting. I think Stella Maeve is doing an incredible job portraying. It's just the way that her character is being written for TV. And the only part that I was hating on really is them kind of 
shunting her to the side. And I, yeah, we I, wanted, I blame that on writers. Yeah. We love the actress and we love the way she's pulling this character off. And I think that's why we get so angry when she gets storylines like the blood on the floor mm. just to get them to that section. I think more of our complaint was that they're not giving her enough. The storyline doesn't feel mm. right. And it did this episode, though. Right, and tie her into the rest of the group, and even more so for Katie. So I feel so much better because, as you said, this episode, they pulled them both in. They made them both have a purpose and seem a little bit more heroic. Yeah. And I loved it. You know, I think we've talked about this before, but having a podcast, it's kind of difficult because we have to balance keeping a podcast truthful with our thoughts and giving the positives and negatives in a constructive way. Mm. And it's a delicate balance. If we were always like, everything is perfect, nothing could be wrong, that would be shallow. You would see right through it and it'd be, it'd be, it'd be boring. Shitty. Yeah. So what we try to do is we point out, we try to point out the positives. We never want to bash anyone's art. We're artists ourselves. Mm. We know how that feels. We know how much work goes into your art and these writers and these cinematographers and the, all the people that go into this and the actors, they're doing a great job. We're just trying to point out things that could be better, I guess. I don't know. 100%. And being an artist myself and a writer myself, I'm going to say, listen, there is no way I could do it better. Yeah. I'm never trying to suggest that one way would be better than another or yeah. that I, I think I know how that should go because a lot of times I could easily say, well, I didn't like it and I didn't like what they're doing here, but I don't know how to fix it. Right. Uh, yes, though, this podcast is opinion-based. I mean, really, that's primarily what Jason and I are bringing here is our thoughts on the show. We do a lot of research. We get a lot of background um, but when it comes to the ratings and that type of thing, it's just our feelings. And that's why we love when you guys write in and give us your feelings too. So we get varying perspectives and we have some great feedback. The last one I have is from Lindsay. She's talking about last episode. She says, I assume that Alice sort of made her father fall from the ladder. We talked oh, like that I was a little silly. I didn't see that. She said it could have been in a mischief-managed kind of way, <laughs> seeing as how that's what she seems to desire as a Niffin these days, which is a cool thought. Yeah, that kind of brings some levity to that episode, or that scene at least. He didn't just fall like an old man falling down the stairs, and I think that makes it better. And if it's of it. silly, yeah. it was played so well, not messed up at all, if yeah, that's what they intended. Exactly. I yeah, love that's that angle. Great. Thank you for that. She also says, as for the Katie Julia storyline, I kind of like it while simultaneously loathing it. I think we need to go back to the real world at times to ground the story a bit and to witness the characters who primarily reside on Earth, how they eventually deal with the deterioration of magic on a bigger scale, which will make the audience grasp the enormity more so than if our characters, say, just visit Dean Fogg every now and then. However, I think we could check in with Katie and Julia, like you guys said, and that way maybe skip some silly storylines that involve highly improbable discovery of 40-year-old blood in a warehouse. <laughs> and I totally agree. The need to check in and see where magic's at on Earth is very real. Yeah, and for sure. And so important. But yeah, perhaps, like you said, just making a little bit more if magic could be realistic, as you put mm -hmm. it before, Jason. She says she also enjoys both of the actresses together and a half-fox god baby holds some promise. <laughs> Mostly, though, I'm just interested to see how it plays out 
when compared to the book Julia's Journey. Overall, I, I agree that more devotion to Fillory would be best. There's so much to get into. I want more Penny and Elliot. They have the best facial expressions. And Margot, too. Let's get Quentin ruling with new sexy Alice causing chaos in the kingdom. With so much going on, they need to pick a few storylines and see them through to the end. Beautifully said. And I don't think I have anything more to add to that. That's, That's perfect. perfect. <laughs> Thank you all for writing in and being a part of the crew. That's going to wrap up this episode. If you're afraid of spoilers, we'll see you next time. For everyone that's still here, our next episode will be episode eight, Word as Bond. Margot feels the pressure of ruling. Julia's friends question her behavior. Quentin faces the repercussions of the deal he made. Penny finds a way to help Katie. We also see Quentin say he can't help anyone, not Fillory, Elliot, Julia, and then asks Alice, what did you do? Oh, boy. So we know Alice is going to be up to some shit. And obviously, word, of bond, word is bond is reflective of what he's going to go through with Alice. We're going to see her run amok, and I think it's going to be a fun episode. And cause problems. And by the fact that they said Margot feels the pressure of ruling... Elliot is out of commission next episode, yeah. and she's in charge while they're in a full-scale war against Loria. And you know what? That reminds me. We were wondering what the name of this episode, Plan B, would mean because we heard Plan B in the episode prior. Mm -hmm. But I think I figured it out. Plan B is basically Plan B to abort this baby. Yeah, and also Plan B, they can't figure out a way to save anything else without money, so they're forced to rob a bank. True. So it's got so it works in many ways. Twofold. The last thing is they talked about Julia's friends questioning her behavior, so those complications maybe have changed something about her, and she's acting erratic. Maybe. I don't know. Interesting, though. And it sounds like Quentin's giving up. Yeah, well, with Alice running amok, maybe he doesn't know what else to do. It's going to get real. Can't wait to go over it. Well, that's it for this episode. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at CKC Podcast. This weekend, we will be recording our bonus episode. I can't wait. And let's hope to God for snow tonight so we don't have to go to work and we can get on recording. And get this out sooner, do you? Until next week, this round's on me. This round is on me! Try again.